And hello, welcome back people, and welcome back to the Bad Blood Podcast. Today we have a fascinating character. A man who has been there, done that. He literally has lived many lives over. The man I'm talking about is no other than Brian Cockrell, a.k.a. The Taxman, as seen on Donald McIntyre's Underworld. And... Brian is a very fascinating man, a very fascinating character. Uh, like I say, he's lived many, many, many lives over. He could have lived. He's lived the lives of a thousand men. He's literally he, opportunities he, the man's had throughout his life, um, where he's come from, what he's come, his background is. It, it's all very fascinating, and I'm delighted that Brian's going to be taking the time to speak to Um Like I say, he's, he's been there, and he's done that. Uh, the life he's led is quite remarkable, really. Uh, he's got a documentary out on Amazon, done by Jamie Boyle, uh, The Resurrection of the Taxman. A very good watch. I would recommend you head over there, and if you can, watch it, buy it. Whatever means necessary, you just need to watch it. Very interesting. He's been on many podcasts from Sean Atwood to James English. Um, he's due to play self in the up-and-coming Sears film. Um, he's, like I said, the man's been there. He's, he's done a lot, has Brian. Um, changed his life around hum- humongously. He's... <laughs> like I say, aka the tax man, many attempts on his life, reform character now, um, doing many good things from helping elderly in his neighbourhood to going into schools, telling the kids the life that they should be leading and what they should not be heading towards. Uh, like I say, Brian's, if you're going to listen to anybody, you're going to listen to Brian Cockrell. Uh, the man's just a giant of a character, and it's twice as powerful coming from a man like him. Because, uh, like I say, he's led that life. He's he's been there and he's done that. Uh, it's really, really. I, I really can't express how delighted I am that he is taking the time to speak with. Because, um, like I say, this podcast's in its infancy, and to get the characters on that I've had on recently, um, it's. I've, I feel honoured that I've been able to do the podcast and Brian's no exception I've always always been fascinated with a man especially after watching Donald McIntyre's Underworld um, just the pure size of the man he's just a giant and like I say he's got a fascinating story uh, it's, it's really going to be worth a listen so, like I said, uh, this podcast is brought to you, as always, by the cbdselection.co.uk. Um, if you're suffering from arthritis, got chronic pain, nerve pain, uh, joints is a little bit inflamed, so stiff from training, uh, it reduces inflammation, the CBD. Uh, I would head over there. They've got all sorts of products, ranging from skin products, e-liquids, gummy bars, vapes, uh, head over there, cbdselection.co.uk, 
and have a look, see what they've got to offer. Um, like I say, CBD helps for many things. It, it, I'm not going to say it works for everybody because everybody's different, but it helps more than it doesn't. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, like I say, head over there, check out, see what they've got. Um, I've got a discount code here for you for 10%. It's BBP666. That's BBP666. And that's for 10% discount. Head over to cbdselection.co.uk. Uh, have a look, see what they've got to offer. Alright, I'm going to introduce to you now Brian Cockrell, aka the taxman. Enjoy everybody. Hello everybody and welcome to the Bad Blood Podcast. I've got a special guest today, Brian Cockrell, a.k.a. The Taxman. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing fine and the weather's beautiful, so and I hope everyone out there's uh, staying safe and looking after themselves. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's not much we can do. Hopefully the restrictions get lifted no. soon. So. Yeah, it's a privilege to be honoured to come on your show and do a... Know, to help people and that you know just to see, see what's going on well, I appreciate that Brian honestly I really do appreciate you taking the time to do the podcast like I said yeah um, pleasure's all mine mate uh, thank you very much so how did it all start for you and yeah. Brian I know you're from middle uh, I know you were born in Scotland but you were majority spent the, the adult life in Middlesbrough Hartlepool. how was growing well, up in Hartlepool, Scotland Hartlepool, yeah. oh sorry Hartlepool well, sorry when I was about three year old then we were at, we were at Darlington a little bit then we moved to Hartlepool on the year 19 between Hartlepool and Sunderland, then we moved to Hartlepool and I went to school there, to a little school called Midland, and uh, I was really bad because I had dyslexia and them days I thought you were like, you know, I was like, man, you see the same kind of thing because you have dyslexia, teachers, you have to cock from your hand and you don't listen, you don't do it, but you can't spell when you don't, when you when you binge the different way around everything, so I didn't understand dyslexia, obviously they do now, there's all 40 different types of dyslexia, so yeah. anyway, I just went to school and I got bullied because I had a Scottish accent, uh, I had a limp because I was born with a dislocated uh, um, hip, so I had that for a while, uh, and I also was um, bullied because obviously it was like the run the late tape at school, so there used to be six lads used to bully me from when I was about nine years old till I was about 12, but until I was about 11, 12 when I went to the big school, yeah. and uh, I used to have to get from one part of Hartlepool to look, because them days, if you never worked, if you were more than five miles, you could get a bus to school, but yeah, if you were less, it, like, it was four miles at school, so you had to walk, right. so it was a bit daunting, having to get to school and get back that four miles, so it not worse than being bullied. Yeah, I've seen on previous podcasts that you've mentioned that you used to strategically yeah. make uh, plans in your own head how to get home yeah. safely. How was that at a young age? You mentioned your hip, I'm sorry to jump guns, but how how did yeah. you manage that when you were training? Because you're a big, powerful guy. Did that affect you when you were training in your later life? It didn't really affect me in my later life because I, I'd never like, looked back 
one thing that all this that, and the other. I just think you, you've just got to move on. You know, you can't live with one foot in the past and live one foot in the future. You've got to just live day by day. So it didn't really affect me when I trained. I started training. I was I left at the little school. I went to the big school, but I went to a special school because I couldn't read and write properly. You see, yeah. uh, and I was in there and I was getting bus and all these separate things and Dodi and Mong Mong and things like that. People call these horrible words, you know, and horrible names. But it was not to do with that. It was just that, that the illness with you had with dyslexia. Nobody knew what it was in them days. So it was a bit like people years ago used to give cut people's brains out, lobotomize and things. So it was just not as bad as that. But it was like you know, you yeah. were just. You, how did you find the move when you were such a young age? It was it was bad because I was with what it was. I lived with my nana and me, my uncles, but they were like my brothers, type of thing, really. And it was good with them because they could all fight. They were a lot older than me, you know, 10, 12 years older and things like that. So when we moved to um, Hartlepool, it was like my mum, my dad, like my stepdad, me, my brother, my two, three brothers, my sister. So it was like seven of us in a little three bedroom house. So. It was hard times, you know, people, sometimes you never got out of the way, you'd stab, you know, we had to go and like pinch potatoes on the fields and things like that, and tear up and things like that, water, you know, things like that, and we'd, we'd go to the beach and get coal for my mum and things like that, and it was just hard times, so most of the people in the 70s struggled, you know, for food and things, but you just got on with it because you knew you couldn't afford it and you wouldn't ask for mad things what they get now. Yeah. I think what it, well, there was no, there's no deterrent now with kids because no. then you get, if you were naughty, your mum was, well, I get you home, you think, ah, oh, How long did it take you to adapt to, to would you say, more, more or less fit in, sorry, when you moved? I don't, I tell you the truth, I've never, never really had that analogy before. I just think that you just have to blend in. I started, the way I blended in, it sounds crackers, uh, I started speaking with English accent. So I just got his accent went out the window because you were a Dalek with an accent. So you had to speak like a Teesside accent type of thing. So yeah. I, was, I come down here when I was three, but I lived with my, my uncle was right up till I was old, you know what I mean? So I still talked with a Scottish accent, with my mum's Scottish accent. So you still li lived with that in the house, so you'd live off it. But in the end, you had my dad to speak again with an English accent. So, you know, it's a bit, it sounds a bit crazy, but that's when I mean, you have to act on you. It's like, yeah. it's a survive type thing. And when you started training, did, is that when you noticed people starting to take a yeah, different look Yeah, what you? happened is I was about 13 and my uncle was going to my mum a few quid. So he gave her an old set of weights. Well, I was going to tell like I was 13, I started going to a gym in Hartlepool uh, called Park Road. It's still there now. And I went to another couple of gyms, but I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd look at the books and I couldn't really read and write properly, so I just looked at the pictures and it was so like him, so I like him. So I started looking at it. I, I seen a thing called Pumper Iron Bazaar's Torch thing. I thought,
I was eating everything, so I started training when I was 15 probably, so I put a bit of weight on. And then I went to Redcar, I got, I got a little job in a gym there when I was 18, and I started excelling because there was two lads in there, in the, in the, in the pub by it was Arnold, there was another man called Franco Colombo, and there was two lads in the gym, with like the same type of builds, really big lads, and they competed, one was over 17 stone, one was over 15 half, they got brick muscles, and I was over 12 stone, so I jumped in with them in the deep end, and I trained with them, I was just as strong as them, and I was only, I was only 12 stone, you know, when you're a kid. I was just, I was about 300 pounds, and, uh, you know, the 12 stone, and you know, it was ridiculous, and I was only 19 years old, and so... You've been so gifted it. from that, with that strength since birth, basically, yeah. then. How, how did you, when you were lifting the same as them, if not more, how, yeah. how did that, it, it, like, mentally, did that change you? Did, did you just think, yeah, ah, here yeah, we are? Think, well, Saying you used to use that score and all these things, this one you could, you'd really good. Suddenly you're reading like, yeah. like 26, you're already 18, 19, and you train with and you and you're catching them up and you're catching them up and then you're overtaking them. There was no jealousy in them days, you see. In them days, it was like there was like Rambo, there was like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron, there was um, all these video goals, the Green Goddess series, no training, there was the, the motivator, it was all in the training in the 80s, was probably the golden era of training. And nobody took any clubs, nobody really drank, there was all fitness training. And to be the best fighter in them days, you had to be really hard because there was that many people wanting to be fighters, and that many people trained all different areas and seasides, and it's massive when you put them all together. And um, you know, so yeah. when I finally got a fan, I started, I got a decent physique and I competed, but I didn't die, probably only died for 10 days, you're supposed to die for about 10 weeks, so I died, I went into Mr. England, I come fifth, um, oh. in Gateshead, uh, juniors under 21, and uh, I did another few shows, but I got out of that, because I wanted probably to be more stronger and bigger, so I started training harder, and eating harder, and I started taking a few steroids, and I was 22, and I was anything, I was 22, I trained from 13, so nearly nine years or so, because you don't need anything until you're after 21, you don't stop growing at 21, so it's a point, no point of taking them, yeah. uh, your normal natural growth hormone and things like that work, and you'll stop your, your size work until you get your natural gains, and then probably go a little bit, I'm not telling anyone I've got steroids, but I'm just telling you the truth. Yeah. And uh, I started doing that. I put six stone on, and I'm sorry, I put eight, six, seven, eight stone on, and I got from 14 stone to 24 stone in about five or six years. So I, I went huge. I was phenomenally big. I had a 58 inch chest, a 44 inch waist, wow. 36 to 37 inch nice. 23 inch calf, 23 inch, 23 and a half inch neck, and 23 inch biceps and 18 inch um, forearms. I was just like a freak of nature, you know. But yeah. I always did bag work, and I always did running, but I didn't run on the road. I run on a bank so you couldn't hurt your legs because you'd be on your like, shock absorbed, just like your calves. Nice. You know? Yeah. Did you know being in that environment? Because it's all, it's all good being the man in your district. But when you're in the, amongst British strongest people, that has surely yeah. got to give you one of the best feelings and adrenaline boosts you could possibly. Of course, yeah. How did you feel? I was a lack of confidence for years when I was a kid. And then I started thinking, I'm somebody, I can do something. I, can, I don't have to do this. I am somebody. And I got my own little flat in me and I lived there for quite a few years. And then I started um, working on the door. I went to a pro club in the Red Car Club, Leo's, and I got a job when I was 20 years old. So I started working the door, but I didn't know how to box properly. I boxed a little bit. And uh, I met a man called Frank Athen. He was the... Uh, the He'd be a champion of Britain um, in the army and everything, wow. and uh, he was a great boxer. 
and he taught me how to fight, how to throw punches, and your body weight on one foot, and then you, you, you know your hips, and all the weight comes from your toes, and you know all these little yeah. these things. And you just don't put this with arm strength. There's no power, but when you're under your body, body weight's coming through. It's phenomenal force. But I used to do loads of stretching. I was really fast hands. I used to train with a man called John Black. He used to teach me to train. He taught Lee Duffy to box. Wow. Like, you know, so he wasn't no slouch, you know. So yeah. I was in with people, you know, I trained with Ray Hood. I trained with like Cody Dave Buxton. Ray Hood had his joint team at Lingdale. He used to teach us to box. So I was in there with the right proper good people. Yeah. So when I started the fight, then... You know, I was I was I was equipped with uh, the strength and the boxing skills. Yeah, that's that's you either have one or the other. To have both is a very very dangerous dangerous person. Do you know when you went out that night? Did you did you go out looking for door work or did it just fall upon you? No, I just went out. I went on. The, I went to the door with my uncle. And I was with my uncle Tom, Frank, and John. Um, my uncle Frank used to play for Manchester United. It's Frank wow. McGivern from Redcar. And uh, I used to tell people that didn't believe me, now you can check up on YouTube and everything and things, when them did, I made it up and people all see me and things up, I've been this, I've done that, and like, he hasn't done that, but I've got that, I've, been, I've got the records on them video, <laughs> I still don't believe it, you know, but I've did the records with no mouse, what I broke, you know, and, uh, but uh, I went on the door that night, I asked uh, Peter Lyons, he was called, Phil Lyons when Lee was, and I said, there's any jobs for the door, mate, and I was only, I was about 14, 7, I think I was when I got the job. And I got a job off, I got a, sorry, I got a, a doorman's jacket to borrow. Yeah. You can't get anything to that tonight if you want. So I got a job the first night I went down. So wow. I went back and I got a jacket off a lad called Craig. He used to work at the top deck in Redcar. But he was about 20 stores, big, big heavy lad, with a big belly. But I had this jacket hanging off me type thing. So <laughs> the next day I went in the old second hand shops and got like, you know, like a ballroom dancing jacket <laughs> yeah. for the elves and the, the dicky board I mean so I looked apart on the door then but and I worked with a lad called Jeff Robinson who helped me so I didn't know how to put people out and things like that so yeah. anyway I sat on the odd fight here and then and his brother would come and then his mate would come and then he would come and he would come and he just started beating everyone in the area how how was the first night on the door did you have a trouble or when was the first very, big trouble very, uh, very scary tell you the truth um, I said because when I went I didn't have a clue what to do I was just like I mean, I never went out drinking nothing, you know. I, I don't even know a few times. I didn't well. drink alcohol, I didn't smoke, I didn't uh, take drugs, I didn't gamble, I didn't do anything. All I did is I was obsessed from 13 year old to training. Yeah. And uh, I just kept doing that, you know. But uh, yeah, the first night I was like, how would I put them out? And I'd pull them to the upstairs and a headlock, put them out and things like that. So <laughs> yeah, it was a couple of fights the first night. And uh, uh, after a while, you got used to it and you, you, you knew how to train. You started learning to talk to people. Say, oh, you don't want to be fighting, you want to get locked up. But, you know, you've got to watch people because obviously they try and punch you so you've got to have your feet in the right position and you don't stand square on your side on things like that so you learn all these little things. Yeah, when you were on the door, how how long were you working the door before you moved away from that and went on, uh, in your world, bigger things? So I was doing them type of rough, rough clubs, and the way I got away with it is because most. 
boss of the kids who go into trouble, I knew the mums and dads, and I knew their uncles, and they respect for what I've done in the, the past, you see. Yeah. I've never been a bully, never ever been a bully. As I said to you at the beginning of the podcast, I got bullied really bad, so I can't stand bullies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you, your first encounter, I'm obviously going to mention Lee Duffy because um, it, it struck me that, because uh, your strength, it, 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 I think strength overbeats any skill, it doesn't matter how skilled you are, strength is just, the, it's the number one winner. How was it in Canada? It's, like it's, it's like it's either a 30 year old wrestler fighting a 20, he's got no chance. You know, it's just that the white we have weights in boxing. Somebody at 20 years old, like Tyson Fury, fighting somebody like Barry McGuigan. They have to have the weights. Well, Duffy weighs 15 something, 15 and a half, I think. And what has happened is um, John Black was telling me about this, I believe, Duffy. He'd get to me because I was at Reckon, he was middle, so we didn't know each other. And uh, I never went out drinking, he said, I just went a few doors and Reckon, yeah. he'd never been in Reckon. Wasn't, wasn't in that area, you know, it was only about 10 miles away, so we never met each other, nothing, but John Black used to say, oh, he's a nice lad, I'll tell him when he gets out, I'll get to me, because he was doing a full stretch, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he got out, and I'd been to see someone, the lad called Kev Kildy, we'd been to Durham to see a lad in jail, and we went to see another kid, and uh, as we were walking down the street, he said, oh, there's Duffy, well, John, no, he never said his name, he said, there's Duffy with his mate, and they were driving in a car, and then anyway, we were going to go down, and he said, I'll leave it, because... I don't want to read the bump into him, you know, like, yeah. I think so. I went to go, Lee went, oi, oi. I turned around and said, oh, yeah, be all right. I said, there, John Black's coming all about them. So I stood square on because Lee was 26, I was 26, but Lee was probably 36 in the head. Yeah. I was probably 20 in the head because I hadn't been out in the building ring, I'd never stolen anything, I'd never robbed anyone, I'd never done anything, you see. Mm-hmm. So he went, all right, mate, what are you doing? I said, all right, I'll, I'll put the shake his hands. And I said, when he shake his hand, his mate had a bottle of pills in his hand and he had the bottle of his mate. And Lee Duffy caught me this left hook, I think it was. And he caught me, the great looking, I've seen stars everything, but he hit the deck. But I was super fit, you know, I was in the circus everything. And I had like, I could swear you the power and I jumped up. And he ran at me, I'd seen the stars, so I was only, only a few seconds and I was, I was back to recovery. Yeah. And he was about six feet away, he jumped back type of thing. Anyway, he tried to grab my legs, a big mistake. I just split my legs. I was funny, the bouncy. And I rushed, ran him into the wall, and once I had all of him, he was going nowhere, and I pinned him. I noted him, I elbowed him, and I, I kneed him a few times, and he was shot. He, went, he was down, he was half knocked out, because he said, me when you hit me with them two headbutts, he said it was like concrete fabric, me. Wow. So I was stunned, and when I was on the floor, he was down. I didn't know really who really Duffy was, I didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. Anyway, next minute, he's made, he shouted, John, John, fairly, fairly, get him off me. I'll never forget the words, and he had that. And he hit me on the end of the bottle, the pills, and I picked him up and threw him up, like, into a car, taking me half over the car. Right. And John Field told me, I mean, Kev Kelly tells a story about it, but other people say, oh, it never happened, there was a scuffle, it was this, it was that, but he's been strengthened me, and so after that fight, I went looking for him, because I'd also had a broken finger on my right hand, and uh, I'd had a fight with somebody a couple of nights before, and broke my finger, and I didn't splint, so I beat my leg, but broke an hand in the way, as well, she, so I went looking for him, and my hand was better, trying to get a fight with John Black to sort it out, so then I went to his house, I went to his girlfriend, I went to his sisters, I went everywhere, and he wouldn't, he didn't want to fight, and I seen him in the street, and he thought I was uh, fifth grade, and it was in Eston, it was pitch black. Yeah. And I was with a lad called Mark Johnson, Nick Rallison, and we jumped out the car, and he was in a green air red Sierra. And as I run to the car, they tried to drive away, and I dived on the back of the car, but I was 24, so with army boots on, a shell suit and a, a vest, and he, he, he couldn't get away at the car. So I tried on the door to lock the car and drove off. So What were the faces like, Brian? Yeah. 
What were the faces like when you just jumped on the car? Oh, you could see the feeling in his face, and, and then what happened is he went, he was going, I was looking for him everywhere, I was everywhere, I was sitting there, telling people to come, to come around the house, and I'll hide behind the wall, and when he came off, come around and grab him, so, and he knew, he said, I knew you were there, and things like that, so, what happened is, uh, he got out, Trevor Fairwell can prove this, uh, got out of jail, and he phoned Mark Miller, was a friend of his and mine, I was taxing people with him, and um, what happened is, um, he phoned up the King's Head, and then you know them deja vu things, you know who it is on the phone, I had to plead off me, I just knew, yeah. so I put me under the phone, I said, no, we need to dare, are we going to sort this out, but he was like, me and fight, and I went, anywhere you want to fight, I'll fight you on the road, I'll fight you in the bush, I'll, I'll fight you anywhere you want, and he went, no, no, I want to apologise, I was out of order, and blah, 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 and I spoke to my sister, and that, no, he's the cause you better just be friends with him and that's you know, but she was talking to him saying you're frightening me too strong for you and things like this so anyway he ended up um, going to meet him and I went to his house which I wouldn't do it now because I'm a bit more wary now going to people's houses yeah. so I went and I was 26 years old you don't care then and I met him and he shook me hand and he said something to his mum this is Brian and then Lisa Stockholm was there Neil Booth was there and Mark Miller was there so many people can um, verify you know so yeah. people like, I never happened this then never happened that happened and this happened it's just Yeah, I've, I've read part. I've read both the uh, Lee Duffy books, and what uh, I, I, I'm just saying from I can't remember the guy who said it, but he did recount that story in that book. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was amazed at that because he said the car rattled. He said the car, he, he's never felt anything like that, and he was sitting in the car. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they just hit it off straight yeah. from there when after that meeting in the house. How was the blues parties? Um, 
Budweiser or something. Mm-hmm. And they'd have like a curry on your pay a pound for a bit of curry and bread and, and people were talking, they were all smoking joints and stuff, people were on drugs and that, but it wasn't the type, it wasn't ecstasy about, but in 1992 we got the rave clubs, we were the first people at the rave clubs, we got the uh, Heaven Club, right. uh, the Eclipse Club, and we had the Coliseum up here, so I had all the raves, but no one was coming. When the owners got it, so I went in and I had all the lads from Liverpool and Manchester and all the lads from Newcastle and Stephen Sayers and Stevie Abaddon's and Robbie Armstrong's and all them type of people coming from Michael Sayers and it was good. Everyone was like, you shot me dad, you killed me mum. But they were all hugging each other because they were loved up, you know, there was no yeah. trouble in the clubs. The place, the, the environment wasn't as bad on the street because everyone was in the rave and they were all loved up. I know you blew my leg off and I know you shot me mum, but yeah, do you want another day? And it was mad. It was a good, good time. You know, I'm not telling people to take drugs, but it was a good time, you know? Yeah, it, 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 we all look back on things and we've all done mad things, but it, oh, at the time, they are good, fun times. <laughs> you can't deny yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so when you, you're saying you were trained, you took late to the gym, uh, did you show him how, obviously, you showed him how to lift? Did he show you how to th- throw fists? Did he show you any extra stuff of what you already knew? the most fearsome person you've ever come across? Is it true the further up north, the harder they get, or have you come across some fearsome men from down south? Mainly, I haven't really fought many people down south and that, but I have a lot of friends on that way. It's mainly people from here, just taxing in your own manner, I think, like, yeah. I beat a bitch to go over the farm man up there called The Dentist, who's called Henry I up in the club, I was about 22, tried to have a fight me and spend more, it was called The Top Bat, and he used to be called The Dentist, because he used to hit with a big straight right, and then knock all your teeth out, so he shot with me, hitting the right up, I got left up and broke his jaw, and I dropped his teeth out, and he had to go to the dentist, so what goes around comes around, but he was a big bully, you know, so, yeah, yeah. I've never been a money problem, I've still spilled, I knocked somebody in a pub and I spilled a drink, I'll buy him another drink, but sometimes people take your cannabis to the weakness, I remember an army lad, he said, uh, we were at the, uh, the powerhouse, and Manhattan's powerhouse in Rinka on the seafront. And there was a lot there, he said, ah, I'm a army navy, army, sorry, army champion boxer. Uh, he said, I'm a tester for people like you. And he kept going on and on anyway, and I'm knocking him out. And I said, well, he went much of a tester, you know. But then you know, all the lads, a lot of the big lads from Gisborne, he said, I'm the best fight in Gisborne, I want to fight you. And he's trying to put his foot forward to throw a right hand. So what you do is just 
step over them and you put your foot in front of their foot so they can't get the balance so he did it about three times the third time I nutted him in the face and it split wide open he got up I nutted him again I said I've not dropped his fight through two headbutts he went I've had enough, had enough. I said I guess I must be the best fighting because we know I'm not you know, so I've had all that crap you know I'm the best fighting Billy and beat him I'm the best fighting whatever I'm the best fighting and beat them all so I'm not trying to say it's glorified I'm just telling you because you asked me the question yeah. what happened to them did so people think I'm being big headed but I'm not I'm just telling them what really happens you know yeah it, 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 I'm so interested and fascinated because what strikes me is the amount of attempts that's been put on your life and you're still here to tell the tale. It, it's remarkable. It proves, it proves that I'm not making that story. I mean, I've been shot at. I've had lads put shotguns on me trying to shoot, like, shoot me in the street and I've ran at them and I've ran off. I ran a house and I've had you pull the gun out and, I, and you can't outrun a bullet so I just charge, you charge your gun. And, and I went my chest thought he put it all of me yeah. it was a BB when he took me with a little yellow pellet so you know just uh, another time at Redco we went for a fight it was Richie Orsi Vulture and all them lot the, wow. the lads from Marty Paul coming back me up just for a fight and we got another car jumped out the van jumped out the cars went to fight about 30 lads next minute six of them were guns but there were them little Dillinger guns which if you pointed at a band all you probably missed so they shot at me you know six of this but the, the, I thought they were blanks and when I turned around the band windows were all put through we had about 12 stone about an hour later and we got off the adrenaline and went down we got home and everything and he said what's that I mean I said you've been shot and he passed out it was only a little pellet thing but uh, oh. I've been lucky I don't know if it's lucky that I divided into benching people but at the time in Tommy Allison's house when they set me up there was about 12 in the house I got a phone call saying could you come round and they attacked me stabbed me at me with bars uh, and nearly killed me but um, it's all in the book as well the resurrection of Brian Cockland and, and the documentaries uh, what we've done we've done Jamie Boyle so people can see that, that, that what's happened and you can see by the neighbours what they've said and, you know but I was lucky that day because they were going to kill me uh, I only found out about 10 years after that that they arranged to have a boat and they were going to come young black put me in black bags and throw me in the sea because the lad was called Phil Berryman it's in his book wow. he moves out the area now and he he, he give them the boat type of thing uh, and they want to shot me to see but I took 250 grand off Liverpool firm the Sunderland firm um, New, Newcastle firm and a few others you know they all got together and said look he's fucking we can't keep this going we've got no money with him so they nearly killed me that day and nearly uh, lost my leg nearly lost my life and uh, I lost three pints of blood I got 167 stitches but wow. in 10 days I was out taxing again oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say how long did it take you to recover from that Six months from committing suicide, down wow. to the hospital. I 
I've got about 500 people back in the gym from depression. I've been around places now just talk to people. I've got them, them right. I've got people I'm going in the corner in boxing gyms. At the Spartan gym with uh, Gary Fairbairn. As, as for the kids now, he's looking after the Newcastle way. Uh, wow. I've got a lad called Pilking from down Birmingham. He's going to ring up that way with the kid. He's best friend. So it's good to help people, you know. I'd rather do what I'm doing now, helping people, than hurting people like you used to in the old days. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, you, you've transformed your life around humongously. You, you, you're yeah. doing great things at the moment. How how excited yeah. are you to be part of the SEAS up and come from? Oh, fantastic. Well, Mr. Stephen and Michael, we've got friends from 1991, I think I met him, and then we've been friends all them years, 30 odd years. I've never had a crossword with him. We've lost contact for a lot of years. He's done deal, I've done deal. I got addicted to crack, obviously, and I was, was coming out of the house sometimes on depression. My brother hanged himself, so that made me bad. Uh, and I thought I could have should have helped you, should have done this, blame myself. Well, you can't, but, uh, one of the lads from the church who I speak to, he said, You can't fix people. You can only fix clocks in cars and cars and other things and all of them. You can't fix people. People have to fix themselves, type of thing. You can only help to fix people, but you can't fix them. So I thought that was a good analogy, what he'd come up with. Yeah, definitely. We've all got it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink it, Brian. And we've all got to yeah. be willing to make that step forward and the, it, it, the change yeah, ourselves. Water, it's, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but a pencil must be lit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I like that one. That's a good one, Brian. I like that. <laughs> That's the thing about, see, I'm not shitting on the tabloids or anything like that, but they should always put a fair, a fair assessment and a fair, if they should never ever plug it, the, what sales, they shouldn't, for me, they shouldn't be able to print mistrust stuff like that and this is why we've got Jamie yeah. Jamie Boyle uh, Steve Rafe the likes of them to thank because it gives you a platform yeah. for you to put like your yeah. end of it as well because when yeah. these tabloids yeah. when they sell papers they just plug that all the time because it doesn't get you the same thing over and over again because it sells papers yeah. I don't want to glorify it but we're not trying to glorify it because I'm telling the people don't do what I've done in the past because it's not great you know it's not Exactly, the, the, you know, and bravery. I mean, the real heroes in this country, the National Health Service now, and the care workers, and, and, the, and, the, and the people who are helping the people that's thrown around, they're the real heroes in the country at the moment. So they're the real heroes, not fighters, and not boxers, and not footballers, and people like that, and hundreds of thousands of pounds. Look at these care workers going to work, and nurses, and doctors, they're dying to save people's lives. So they're the real heroes at the moment. 
Oh yeah, without a doubt. I just think that from from what you've done in your life to change around, I just think that it's it's worth mentioning. It, it should be in it should be in little papers. It, it it should be mentioned because, like I say, they're quick enough to say, "Oh, Brian Cockrell done this, Brian Cockrell done that." But what's Brian Cockrell doing now? Well, there's been quite a few with the Gazette and that really. Mentioning your size again, because that nearly brought you in, in numerous roles, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could have been the British Bulldogs uh, tag team partner. Right, you yeah, could have yeah, had a part. In, people saying I made that up and said, no, I've not got the letters off the last size things. I've got to give me boil things and that. And I've got an invite to the British Strongest Man without even competing because it's Damien in the gym training and things like that, you know. And I'd, uh, I don't make these things. I did a whole mouth and did an 850 kilo leg press for 11 reps in whole mouth. Brian, stuff they hit as there's nobody more that I couldn't tell anybody to, to stuff they hit as even more. They hit as I hit as they're, they're just bored, it's, bored people who have got nothing better else to do. Um, yeah. You've just got to try your best to put that to the side, yeah. haven't you? Well, I believe Duffy said to me once that if, you, if the bad people are talking 
bad about you. It doesn't matter. But if the good people are talking bad about you, then you've got a problem. You know what I mean? So if the, you know, if the good people are talking good about you, then you haven't got a problem. But yeah. the idiots are calling you, then it doesn't really matter, you know, because nobody's listening to them. Yeah, you mentioned Lee Duffy again. What was yeah. it, Reading the two books and yeah. having your take on the, uh, Donald McIntyre's Underworld, how yeah. was Lee? Because obviously... At, I'm not glorifying the violence and stuff like that, but it seems to me that he only harmed his own until like near the end of his life. Like it wasn't yeah, the bully people to pay. Like, you know, he did it with a lot of cult, Tommy Oak from Eston, and he had a 20 minute fight with Tommy Oak. Tommy Oak was, <laughs> none of them could be separated, so he wasn't all, he wasn't as as forceful what people thought he was, you know. I mean, he had a fight with another kid called Tommy, and Tommy mentioned it from Liverpool tonight on one of the podcasts with Stephen Wraith, and this Tommy lad, and I think he threw him all over, and um, see the strength again, Lee's hit him, and this lad just mullied him about 20 stone and held it down with the strength, and Street Lee was strong enough. The screws had to break up, they called the screw, Mr. Dickey, and the one was called uh, Mr. Bolt. So and then he had another fight. He was supposed to fight Peter Oak, another pal of mine. Peter offered to fight him over the Conquer Woods and he declined to fight him. Then he had another fight with a lad called Molly Jeffries. He struggled with him. So he wasn't this invincible thing what people are trying to paint him. Peter was saying that he run Teesside for 12 years. He can't run Teesside for 12 years. He went to jail when he was 16 for a couple of years. And then he was in jail for four years. So there's six years he's done. So that makes him up there 24, you know, when he died at 26. So yeah. he wasn't really out of jail that long when he died. He was really out of jail about 16 months. And he was in back in and out the jail when he was there. So cause I was with him, you see. That's mo- that's the most important. You have, it, like like you said, Lee was only twenty six. He didn't have time to change. You have, um, and it's more important. No, what- yeah, I, I was just going to say it. Uh, it just it further goes to show that it, it's more. Uh, 
powerful coming from a person like yourself. Um, you can right. you can give people the the correct advice. You can tell them what yes. leads to what, and it, not many people are know these things. And this is why I think it's very important that you're here. And the likes of yourself, Stephen yes. Sayers, everybody's got their yes. what they can tell people and advise people. That's right. Well, I think if you haven't lived the past I've lived, I wouldn't be an advisor. It's like being a soldier, going in the army, and not being in the war. If yeah. you've been in the army, you've been in three wars. So when you go to, when you go and get in the army, obviously you can tell people, well, you want to do this when you fight, you want to do this, but you can't give advice to someone if you haven't been in that bubble. And I've been there with the drugs, the taxes, the fighting, the shootings, the murders, and all, all these type of things, and it's not good. But somehow, I'm here for a purpose, people say, because I'm helping people. But when you go out and help people, when, we've been to school, me and Jamie while we've been a few schools, we've had like three schools in one, and you're telling the kids, and they're sitting there waiting a bit of breath, and they're all listening, and they all taking... No, and when, when police have to disrespect the police because they do a good job and you mm -hmm. save your life if you fall in the river or your house is getting burnt down and prison officers and things like that, it's still do a good job. But when they go and talk to the kids, the kids class them as the enemy and the classic social line is the enemy. But when yeah. I go, shake my hand and they get blacks and the grace, you know, but I'm getting to them saying, don't do what I've done. Do your own things, don't be a sheep and follow him and follow him and follow her. Just do your own thing with you. If you've got a dream, you know, try and, try and, try and live that dream and you know, and don't live in the past, live for here now. You can't live in the past or the future because it isn't, the concepts have gone. So, and one hasn't happened. So, you can only do, I think, what I do before I get out of bed every day, I have 10 minutes, I think, what can I do today to make my day the best and somebody else's the best day they've had? So, that's what I do. I go out of bed there and I try and help people every day. Yeah, I say it then, pass it on. That's, that's the effect that it hopefully can be passed on from what you're doing. Uh, how, yeah. uh, when you, looking back on that depression stage, how long did it take for you to really think, right, Brian, I've got to get a hold of myself, I've, I've got to get a grip here? Yeah, well, it was probably 10 years, not enough 10 years, I was up and down, up and down, like, yo, yo, up, up, mm -hmm. running, up, remember the old snakes and things like that, up, 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 down the snakes, type thing, all, all, every, I'd be, I'd be all right for three months and I'd be bad again, and my brother, committed suicide and I said myself full year bad and, and up and down and just all hectic but about a year and a half now I've just been right now I just I'm not even interested in people have offered me drugs for you I'm trying to get me back on them but I'm not interested I honestly about I'm not on hand on half and um, if they cut my house for me anytime cut my house anytime you'll see me I'm out in the shops here every day running about all the people I've totally totally changed my life around in there uh, for the good as well because see, like, I don't regurgitate the same things but um it's like, I did a podcast last night for Stephen Rafe and people always say the same things on each podcast, but it's questions and answers. So if somebody asked me a question, yeah. I answer the question, but they asked me, you know. I watched that. I watched that last night. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd, honestly, I'm not just saying it. I'd, anything that comes up, Brian Cottle, I, I genuinely watch. I'm just fascinated. Yeah, I've been right. fascinated with it since the. Um, I can't wait to beat it. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's how how excited are you to play yourself in this film? Oh, phenomenal! But well, wouldn't I say we're going to get somebody to play Brian Cottle? I said you can fuck off. Sorry for speaking. <laughs> <laughs> So Stephen said, give him the party, like that, so I went up there, and we went up with Paul Bennett, lovely lad, who was playing um, Lee Duffy, and he's, he's, he's a double of him, and he's right next to, he's like from five or six doors away, he lived from Lee Duffy, he was a kid, you know, so yeah. I 
bit of there. He's a lovely, lovely lad. He can fight for porn, tough as nails. I said, and then Gary Fair, the other lad, I said, oh, you're going to be filling me in. I'm too old for you. So, <laughs> then about 30 odd four, you know, but lovely lad. But often I was talking to Gary a couple of days ago, and, and then I'm going to go and see him and that, and go and see him at his gym with the spa gym up Newcastle. So, and Stephen Rafe and Stephen Sayers come to see me, and his dad said, Michael, and it was like, it was lovely, you know, at the Elf, we were up there, and we started filming. And uh, I was telling the Paul out there to act. Like, oh, not an actor, but yeah. how Lee Duffy acted. Lee Duffy would be plays parts. I've got to do this and do that. And John Paul's got, well, but I feel like tight to be on the place. You know? <laughs> and then Gary Fairby shot the guy. You'd be great in the corner for us, like you, you know. <laughs> so we had a great time, you know. But it's great just there. Uh, because what makes me buzz off it is when I'm walking down these streets with these lads who play the other parts, they're already playing the parts and being myself. Yeah. But really, it's easy. It's going to be easy for you just being yourself. I'm actually on the street thing, I tax that house me and Lee rubbed in there, me and Lee had me picking cars up, that was when he was on my party piece, I could pick a car up, the back end of a car and lift it up and rep it type of thing, and Steve to tell you he's, he's told on the podcast what he's been on, uh, and yeah, I was super strong, I was, there's no doubt about that, you know, oh, um, no, no. I pick the car up, it's lies, it's this lies, that's lies, but... Nah. See, this is what I think is so unique about the film because it, it, I have seen the guy who's playing Lee. He looks eerily familiar with Lee. Um, it, like you say, he's from the same area as Lee. You couldn't even write that. Uh, you're playing yourself. Yeah. Sometimes fiction is stranger than that. Fact is stranger than fiction, isn't it? Oh, well, definitely. Yeah. It, it's weird. It, it, so, have you had any inclination of when you're going to go back and you can start getting the cover? Maybe by September, I think the, the script's going to be finished by Gary Fraser, who's a fantastic uh, director, film director. He's done uh, Train Spot and so I've seen the first one with Gary Fraser, he's done the second one. He's been given to a BAFTA award, which is the best film, I think that means the best film of the year. Twice he's had two of them, so we met him. And Gary had the problem, he was he was on drugs and he, he, he won't mind me saying it. And he, it, most of it, the place of all our problems on drugs, you know, so we all sat talking about our problems. Like a bunch of old white old women, you know. But it was good to talk to people of that stature and different backgrounds from Scotland and that. And he wanted to go up there and speak at uh, a, a thing where he goes on. And he was on heroin for years and he, he, he tells it on his story, you know, and it's fantastic for somebody like that to come out with it, you know. Yeah. And like, I, I like people like Tyson Fury, people don't like him, some people don't, I do, because it's come out to look, I suffer from mental health, I feel they killed myself, I feel that. Now, if a man of that is actually the world champion boxer can come out with that, and people like Mike Tyson come out with depression, and people like Muhammad Ali, I'm not sorry, Muhammad Ali, and people like um, um, Bruno and yeah. myself coming out with that, I'm not in there. I'm nothing like them, I'm nowhere near their standards. But for me to come out and let people know I've suffered depression and suicidal thoughts and, and it's horrible what mental health does. And I'm teaching people what mental health is. I say to people, when you get mental health, it's a bit like a storm coming and all you can feel it and you feel it, but it will wither and it'll go and just there's this clouds open, the sun will come through, that's mental health. Yeah. So you might have a couple of days, three or four days, and it'll go away and come back. So, but it's a horrible thing. You need to go and get help for 999 if you need help. Or go to the doctors and just speak to the doctor. Because years ago, people would be like, even now people go, not wrong with me. And they're suffering in silence because they won't open the bus and just say, I'm, I'm ill. Yeah. It annoys me to death because there's help out there. People will help you. That's, that, that's even more powerful. Uh, when you... <laughs> 
when you're going to do this film, what's, are you going to aim to try and maybe do more, or are you just going to look at play this and then just sit out? Or? <laughs> Like is, uh, when you were mentioning the likes of uh, Tyson Fury, Frank Bruno, that's that's their world, Brian, and I, I know your world. You're just of that stature, and um, I, I know it's not the greatest of things you've done, but you you've got respect like them in your world, and that's what I think is more important because that again it brings the message, and it, people will listen when it's coming from a person yeah. like yourself. Uh, Definitely a hundred percent. But uh, I mean, like, when you're going out to have a box in a fight in the ring, you've got like a corner line, you have a minute rest, or you get a health shot, or you get beat, but you're in the street, you're getting shots out of drug dealers, and people petal bombing you, trying to stab you, and jumping the gangs, and stabbing you, and doing all these things. So you've got to be on the ball all the time, you know. It's just uh, it's not nice living like that. So I used to have six houses and half a dozen cars because I wouldn't stay in the damn cars, keep swapping and things like that. So you your life type of thing. So. That's, honestly, Brian, I, I still, I still bewildered of like how how many how, how many lives you you've led because you've lived the lives of a thousand men, one thousand percent. But not only that, it, it you've like lived the lives of like fifteen cats and like nine times yeah, over. Hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, honestly, I would really like to appreciate, just tell you, appreciate how much, I, I, honestly, for you doing this podcast. Um, I, I've yeah. got to cut it there, though, because I've only got limited bandwidth and time for a slot. Um, but if if sometime in the future we could get you on again and we could continue the, where we left off, I would, yeah, that, would, that would be great. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. 
thanks for having us on. Thanks for all you out there. Stay, stay safe and look after each other. Just be kind to each other, please. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Honestly, uh, thanks for joining the Bad Book uh, Podcast. It, okay, it's mate. been really, really interesting to have you on, mate. It, it's been cracking. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Sam. You take care. God bless. Thank you, same to you, Brian. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.